0: Bishop Tom Daly, the 7th Bishop of the Diocese of Spokane, and as you know, we have a radio program, Bishop and the Vickers. Since this this is the summer months, um, the Vickers have decided that they wanted the entire summer off. So we're going to do a little different format. Um, I have uh, with me here at the Diocese a good friend uh, from our seminary days, and uh, when I was an auxiliary bishop in the Diocese of San Jose, I lived in residence with uh, Father Gary Thomas. Father Gary Thomas is a priest of the Diocese of San Jose. He is pastor of Sacred Heart Parish in Saratoga. He has a long history of dedicated pastoral service to the faithful of Santa Clara County, uh, including being the vocation director, pastor before at St. Nicholas. Father Thomas was ordained in 1983 and also has a very unique role, a role that is very important and it is this ministry that we're going to discuss uh, on this radio program. Father Gary Thomas is the exorcist for the Diocese of San Jose. Father Gary Thomas. Bishop Daly, thank you so very much for inviting me to join you this
1: morning in this podcast uh, as a way to make uh, the people of the Diocese of Spokane that much more aware of, as you say, this very important ministry in the life of the church that really has very ancient legs uh, and really since 2004 has kind of uh, been given a new set of lungs.
0: How, um, how, long, how did you get involved uh, in this ministry?
1: Well, that, that's a very good question and a question I oftentimes get asked. In uh, the year 2004, uh, St. John Paul the Great issued a mandate through the Office of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith Uh, who uh, at that time was uh, being staffed and overseen by the the future uh, Pope Benedict XVI, in which he mandated that every bishop in the world select a priest and train them to be an exorcist. In 2005, of course I knew nothing about this, in 2005, uh, the bishop of our diocese, our current bishop, Bishop McGraw, after receiving uh, a number, according to him, a number of uh, inquiries and requests for exorcisms and invest investigations into the Praetor Natural decided to appoint an exorcist. Uh, it, I was not the first person or the first priest that he actually approached. The priest the priest he originally approached politely declined and informed me of his decision to decline, and I simply said that I felt I could do that kind of ministry without really uh, having any um understanding of what the ministry was going to involve. And so Bishop McGraw providentially uh, said, well, since you're going on your sabbatical to Rome, there's a course you can take there, which I did. And it was during that course that I met uh, Matt Ballio, who then later wrote a book about my experiences of being trained as an exorcist in Rome entitled The Right, which later was made into a movie starring Anthony Hopkins. And so uh, I do think it was a providential call, I was gonna be on a sabbatical so I had time. I was gonna be in Rome where there was a course and I also had access to exorcists. Uh, there are nine exorcists who actually work in the Diocese of Rome. So I went and found an exorcist under whom to train uh, as an apprentice and worked under that exorcist for over three months and uh, viewed approximately 80 exorcisms in that three month period of time.
0: What um what was the training involved? Besides, Obviously, you you would, um, as you explained to me earlier, you would have observed, you would have been under the tutelage of, of, of an exorcist and established. There is a book, I think, written, um, and I want to get back to uh, the, the right and the movie and you're involved in that, but I think there was a book uh, published by Ignatius Press uh, about a priest in Italy called The Exorcist. Are you familiar with that?
1: I am no. a little bit. Uh, it actually served as the basis for the movie, The Exorcist, which was then released as a major motion picture in 1973. Mm-hmm. It was based on true facts and true experiences involving uh, the, and, uh, the, the exorcism of a young woman in Washington D.C. And the exorcist himself was um,
0: a Jesuit priest at Saint Louis I, University. Correct. When eventually moved. That's right. It was a young. It it was uh, the movie had a, as a as a thirteen year old girl, but it was actually a boy uh, in in Maryland and eventually in Saint um, in Saint Louis. Um, so we'll we'll talk a little later about that because I'm sure our listening audience would have questions. Many people have, uh, saw The Exorcist again, a movie now that is forty four years old, and um, but then there've been other movies along the way. But when you were there in Rome, um, uh, training. Um, were there courses? Uh, was it more or less coming under, again, the, the guidance, the mentoring, the tutelage of uh, established exorcist? There was a course that the Bishop McGraw
1: had made reference to that was uh, taking place, and actually when I took the course, it was only the second time it had been offered at the Regina Apostolorum mm-hmm. Seminary uh, in, in downtown Rome. Uh, which is run in, uh, by the uh, Legionnaires of Christ, and it's a pontifical university. So the course was taught over a period of a number of months in four-hour segments. So uh, they would uh, address uh, theological issues, uh, they would address issues that had obviously biblical rootedness to them, but then they would, I- they would address the, the whole uh, activity of the demonic from the standpoint of technology in terms of how, as a society, we have become very, very isolated. Satan appeals to that isolation, gives people a sense of uh, you really don't need to be interdependent upon other human beings, that you can actually largely navigate life uh, in an isolated kind of uh, very uh, introspective way. We had a set of criminologists come in uh, for a day to talk about satanic ritual abuse Uh, We had a group of lawyers come in one day and talk about the legalities of what is required in terms of uh, what does a a priest need to understand as it applies to his own legal protections, the diocesan legal protections, and also the criminality of uh, satanic ritual abuse. We had people come in, uh, psychologists come in and talk about how one needs to discern uh, the difference between a Uh, a psychological condition, a psychiatric condition, and a preternatural condition. And then of course the course very much stressed the notion of having a team, which uh, in, in Rome I've come to find out most of the exorcists work in a very kind of independent way, but the way the course presents itself, that there should be a team approach. And so what we've done not only in our diocese, but really across the United States now is we established a school of exorcism at Mundelein Seminary four years ago, where you have, uh, and the, the, the forward in the book itself on the solemn rite of exorcism very clearly says you must consult other experts in the discernment process. So on our team, we have a medical doctor, a clinical psychologist, psychiatrist, all practicing Catholics, all local, all who believe in the existence of Satan. And you need that because in the discernment Uh, you have to be able to look at along the lines of mental health issues. You also have to be able to allow the possibility that there is something in the spiritual realm that might be the root cause of what the person is actually suffering from. And most therapists, at least in the United States, most therapists are either agnostics or atheists.
0: That's a a crucial point because the the church um, taking seriously this ministry, which goes back to obviously Jesus himself, But today with um, uh, emotional difficulties, psychological issues, uh, drug use, um, it's so important I would imagine maybe speak a little bit more about that discernment because um, from what I read in our conversations previous, uh, the people who feel they need deliverance or perhaps are possessed, um, especially those that love them and care for them, uh, are desperate and um how do you uh, uh, guide with your team and i think that team concept is very crucial because i remember a few years back there was a thing on one of the network televisions that someone was going to televise an exorcism it just seemed to me when when you bring television and media into an individual case of people who are so burdened by whatever it is whether it is evil or it's a psychological emotional uh, physical thing uh, maintaining the proper balance of psychology, medicine, with a competent team. Um, maybe you can speak a little bit about sure. how you select a team, sure. what are you looking for, for qualities, the, the expertise that they have? Sure.
1: The, in addition to the physician, clinician, and psychiatrist, I also work with a prayer team. Mm-hmm. The prayer team is with me at every deliverance session and every formal exorcism session. So the first contact usually goes to the team and they will do what we call a discernment. And we have a a protocol of questions having to do with the person's personal background, uh, issues having to do with um, psychological history, mental health history, having to do with uh, practices of any kinds of addiction, uh, any kinds of traumas that may have happened in their lives, such as uh, an, a trauma of sexual abuse or other kinds of traumas having to do with physical accidents or, or other kinds of uh, events that have happened in their life that may have damaged them in some kind of emotional or psychological fashion. So all those kinds of questions having to do with addiction and personal history are asked. And so what we're always looking for, I know this is kind of a, uh, an odd way to, to uh, express the discernment, we're always listening for doorways. We're always listening for a gateway in which a, a demon or a preternatural entity may have found a way to have a foothold in that person's life. Uh, the issues you bring up earlier as well about the occult. Uh, we ask questions about people's practices of the New Age. So, many uh, practices that people in our culture and Western civilization are now involved in very often people don't understand or see the dangers in them having to do with Ouija boards, tarot cards, uh, going to palm readers, uh, conjuring the dead, uh, going to a seance, seeking the help of a witch to put a spell on someone or to gain power knowledge. That's really what the occult is all about. All of those kinds of categories are the, the specific kinds of questions that we ask because we're always listening for doorways, now the involvement of the the professionals in medicine and psychiatry and psychology have to do with, is there some kind of drilling deep issue that's the root cause? So for example, if a person has been uh, an an abuse, a victim of sexual abuse, and 80% of the people who come to me are sexual abuse victims, if they've been involved in any kind of occult activity very, very often the wound of the sexual abuse, which John Paul II himself referred to as a soul wound, the soul wound is an opening, and the occult activity, it becomes the doorway. Mm-hmm. And so very, very often it's the combination of those two that will produce the the oppression or obsession or occasionally a possession. Well, those words are language that has to do with the condition of a demonic, some kind of a demonic attachment. Mm-hmm. And um,
0: who, who um, how do people know to contact you in, in a diocese? And again, for our listening audience here in eastern Washington, um, there are priests who have been given this very important ministry um, in the dioceses, uh, certainly I know of the archdiocese in Seattle, and, and even in our own diocese. But um, uh, people, re- priests, refer this matter to you because I know one of the things we've talked about is um, the. This is a very serious matter where one has to be properly trained with the experts uh, and, and a prayer team. Um, you wouldn't venture into this uh, without experience, though some may be naive enough to think that they do have that gift. But um, how do people end up contacting you? Do they, they phone directly? They've known of you You're a little bit more public about this because of the, the, the book, the right, sure. and the movie. But The normal protocol is for a person
1: to contact. And each diocese, it's different. But I would say the normal protocol is for a person to contact the office of the vicar general. Now in some dioceses, it might be the office of the chancellor, but it is usually through the apparatus set up by the local church, that is the normal way. And then because of the movie and the book, oftentimes people will contact me in a direct fashion, uh, but generally speaking, it, the, the normal protocol is through the local church specifically more often than not through the office of the vicar general. And then the vicar general or whoever who has been designated in the local church to be in a sense the person to at least do the initial vetting can decide then whether or not this person should be, the call or the inquiry should be passed on to the exorcist Mm -hmm. or a member of this team.
0: Do you, um obviously in the years you've been when did you come back to the diocese of san jose and begin this ministry
1: in, i was appointed in 2005 as i was leaving my parish assignment to begin sabbatical i returned in may of 2006 and then actually
0: began the process of serving in this role besides being a pastor so for about 11 years you've been doing that yeah. um, what um, do you work with uh, and we're going to take a break shortly Uh, Is there contact with other uh, priests in this ministry nationally?
1: Yeah, well, yes, there is. And uh, because of the fact that most dioceses in the United States now have an exorcist, when I became exorcist, there was maybe a little more than a dozen of us uh, who who had some experience. So when I became uh, appointed in 05, I really knew nothing about the ministry except I felt an inclination (laughs) that I felt confident that I could serve in that capacity. Uh, But very, very often, uh, and this is the beauty, when you do know who the other other exorcists are in the United States, especially those that have more experience than myself, it is not at all uh, outside the purview uh, to call exorcists in various parts of the country and to seek the advice of them because every single case that comes to us, they're all different. The signs are the same the situations and circumstances are different, and then even oftentimes when there's the involvement of Eastern religions and other other kinds of pagan um, deities that are prayed to, uh, you really need the advice of other people who sometimes had a lot more experience than you've had.
0: Thank you, Father Thomas. We're going to wrap up and take a break, and we'll be right back. Bishop uh, Tom Daly from the Diocese of Spokane on the Bishop and Vickers, uh, the Vickers on Vacation. Uh, so, this is a special uh, program. We have the privilege of talking to Father Gary Thomas, priest of the Diocese of San Jose, pastor of Sacred Heart Parish, Saratoga, and the uh, official exorcist of the Diocese of uh, San Jose, who has had vast experience, uh, is uh, a presenter who has spoken in a number of um, campuses and uh, conferences throughout the United States, uh, trained uh, in Rome. And um, we were asking uh, Father uh, Gary before the break about the protocol uh, when an individual uh, feels um, perhaps a need, they aren't sure, um, is, is evil uh, demonstrative in their life, or they possess, or says something going on, or they cursed. Maybe you can um, speak to us, if a person needs help, um, can a person have an advocate? Maybe speak a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah.
1: Very, very often, uh, I would say probably one out of two times, the person themselves will call uh, seeking uh, the support and the uh, assistance of uh, the Ministry of Exorcism, which may not necessarily mean a formal exorcism, but they're looking for help to help discern whether or not their experiences are of a evil nature or some other kind of maybe mental, psychiatric, psychological nature. But very often they've been to medical doctors, clinical psychologists, psychiatrists, received no help, they've been on medication and nothing seems to work. They have uh, auditory or visual hallucinations, they may have a very severe kind of depression that nothing seems to work, so very often out of desperation, and sometimes out of the suggestion of others, they'll contact they'll contact me or somebody on my team. Very very often as well, probably one out of two times, they will have an advocate. It would be either a parent, uh, a sibling, a spouse, or a friend who will call and say, um, "I have uh, a relationship with this person who I really believe would benefit by being able to come and see you. Uh, would you be open to to them having a having a come?" having them come and, and be, able to do, um, to be able to have a conversation to determine if this person really has something preternaturally going on with them.
0: Can you explain that term to our listening
1: audience? Sure, sorry yeah. about that. I didn't mean to use t- terms that preternatural refers to the realm between the natural and the supernatural, so it really refers to the angelic realm mm-hmm. or the demonic realm. And so in terms of uh, advocacy, if someone is calling, my question to them would be, and the same for the team, you know, does this person want help, Does this pers- is this person open to the possibility of being prayed over and having a discernment done for the purposes of their benefit? If the answer is yes, then if they're from our local church, we're very glad to see them. If they're not from our local church, what we will try and do is, when I say the local church, I mean the diocese, we will then refer them either to the exorcist of the diocese who may be, in, who may be within that territory or to the office of the vicar general. If they are not open or willing or want anything to do with any kind of assistance, quite honestly, in the protocol, not only anything personal, but in terms of what we teach as a church, God does not interfere in free will. And so if the person themselves does not wish for anything to be done with them or for them or collaboration with their family, uh, whoever is basically speaking on their behalf then um, they're really the, the efficaciousness of prayer is not strong enough to actually penetrate through the will of the person. And then we would just simply say, until that person really is ready to be open for some help, there's nothing we can do at that time.
0: What, um, certainly along the lines of uh, God doesn't interfere with, with free will, we know in our, um, there was a book by a, an Irish Vincentian, um, Father Patrick Collins, and uh, in one of the chapters, Uh, On evil in a book he spoke about, um, as with many priests uh, of his time he spoke about, um, they denied the reality of evil. They thought most things that we might deem evil or in the past um, were really just deep-seated psychological issues. Until, I believe, in the book he went to uh, Dachau. And there he said he felt um, a presence of evil uh, that was very, very profound and real. And it changed kind of um, how he came to view this. Now, we know, I think, uh, in our conversations previous when I was uh, with you in the diocese in San Jose, um, you must come across people whose their first response is, I'm possessed. Mm -hmm. And – Maybe talk a little bit about that, because uh, with the church and its rich tradition of this ministry, and we can maybe speak about that um, from scripture and from tradition, um, the church, with its also um, intellectual rigor, wants all avenues of uh, medicine and science and psychology to be um, exhausted before one takes something serious as this. Maybe speak a little bit about that.
1: The forward in the solemn rite of exorcism takes a very conservative approach as it applies to how an exorcist would proceed when someone comes seeking the help uh, through this ministry. So they would be, the, the forward is very specific about consulting with other specialists and experts in various fields that are related to the Ministry of Exorcism, including psychiatry, psychology, medicine, mm-hmm. etc. So when a person says, which oftentimes happens, their first words are, I need an exorcism, my traditional response is, I don't do them on request. And explain to them that there is a protocol and that what they might have decided or someone else has inserted into their consciousness that that is what they need, that, that might not be what they need, and in fact, to perform a solemn exorcism on a person who doesn't need it can be very dangerous because it can do some psychological damage to them. So in that regard, the church takes a very cautious stand as it applies to the exercise of this ministry. Now, very, very often, uh, people will say to me, well, you know, in the scriptures, the Lord Jesus simply performed an exorcism and the person was liberated. Why can't you do that? There are other conditions. Of course, I always say, well, I'm not the Lord Jesus, Mm -hmm. but it depends on a variety of factors. It depends uh, if the person, in fact, does need um, uh, to be liberated from a a demonic condition which is determined by signs and determined by uh, an investigation by a psychologist or competent psychologist, psychiatrist, under the uh, authority of our team who looks at what's going on through the lenses of faith, you begin with the lowest common denominator, namely if they're a Catholic, is getting them back into the the regimen and rhythm of the sacraments. Mm -hmm. So daily prayer, weekly mass, weekly Eucharist, at least weekly Eucharist, if not more, and monthly confession. And then we would also employ uh, deliverance prayer as part of the diagnostic so to speak of discernment is there some is there some intelligent predator natural or demonic entity attached to them if so the the power of prayer will usually make this express expose itself because prayer prayer is is a toxin for the demonic and so um, when Jesus, for example, in the Gospel of Mark, was able to exercise the demoniac, some of the descriptions in that scriptural citation having to do with uh, he, the chains wouldn't hold the person, the, the, the demons spoke through the person saying, "You know, what is your name, Legion is my name, there are many of us, that is very much part of what I myself go through and experience the church very clearly talks about and is very emphatic about knowing the name of the demonic if the demonic is present because in knowing the name it then exposes the demon, the demon begins to lose its power and, and, and loses its legal right of being able to stay within that person so the last thing an exorcist does is a formal exorcism in other words, the solemn right of exorcism you use you use um, as I said, you use uh, daily uh, weekly mass, daily prayer, a monthly confession. Um, you can use the sacrament of the sick, which we use on every during every deliverance session. Uh, I've even used the sacrament of the sick sometimes on people who are feeling a sense of depression, and there may not be anything uh, in the realm of satanic that's actually going on. There is great efficaciousness in uh, the sacraments of healing, in other words, reconciliation and the sacrament of the sick, and so you you use a progressive approach because it all depends on how many demons are, if there are anything dem- if there is anything demonic. There's never one demon. There's a tribe. How long have they been attached? Um, how powerful the demonic are? how much the person himself or herself wants the demonic to leave. I've had people say to me in the course of trying to minister to them, I don't want this, I don't want, I don't want the demonic to leave because I don't know what I'm gonna be like without them. And while that might seem completely illogical, I've actually had several situations where we had to stop. So uh, the protocol clearly calls for Consulting widely, acting slowly, and uh, in, in a very um, conservative fashion, always focused on what is in the best interest of the person. Now, obviously, the best interest of the person who is suffering from this kind of condition is liberation. But you also, they also have a, they also have to participate in wanting to also be liberated themselves. It's not like going to the emergency room, getting a shot for some particular ailment and you're okay in a day, and oftentimes people will come and say, um, you know, I just wanna be free from this. They have to also put effort and time into this themselves because if they don't, in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus says the house has been swept clean, but if, if there is nothing to fill the house up with, and it's a metaphor of the body of a person who was once possessed by a demon, the demonic will come back sevenfold. And actually I've had situations where they didn't follow any regimen. They basically went back to their old way of life, and they became worse off after. And then we had to really go and try and help liberate them with more time.
0: We're talking to Father Gary Thomas, uh, priest of the Diocese of San Jose in California, and the uh, official exorcist for that diocese, sharing with us insights and experience. Thank you.